0: Oh, praise the name, the song that we have just been singing together. How important is that name? And what do we mean when we sing praise that name? Our scripture reading this morning is to be found in the book of Ezekiel, and I trust you have a copy of scriptures with you. Uh, Turn with me to this Old Testament prophet, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, and I'm beginning to read at verse 16, and reading down to the end of verse 23. Ezekiel 36, and verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and deeds. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries, In accordance with their ways and with their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, of Yahweh. And yet they had to go out. Of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know That I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. May it please the Lord to grant us understanding in this portion of his word this morning. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you are there and you are not silent, but we thank you that you have shown yourself to us in this world which you have created, that you have revealed something of your majesty, your power, your beauty, your strength your will and your word. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us so wondrously, so perfectly in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that as we see him, as we look to him, as we listen to him, we learn of you. We see you in your mercy, and in your grace, and in your kindness, and in your loving steadfastness. We thank you for your word, that you have recorded for us that which you would have us know and believe in. That you have given to us your word, that we may know how to walk before you. You have given to us your word that we might know how to worship you aright. You have given your word to us that we might rejoice and be glad in you. And therefore, we pray this morning, Our Father, grant to us eyes to see, ears to hear, and to Our Father, hearts that would be thrilled. With the knowledge of the lord we pray our father that you would direct us as we contemplate your word that we may behold wondrous things that we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of who you are you would be our focus and that your spirit would take of those things of yourself and make them known to each one of us. We thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that we can call upon you. We thank you that we can come just as we are, because we come through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one mediator between man and God. And we can come boldly because of the life which he lived and the death which he died and that resurrection and the fact that he is now on your right hand ever living to make intercession for us. And so, our Father, we thank you that we can come to you with our prayers and with our prayers. And therefore, Father, we ask for those who are not with us today, some are ill led aside, some are traveling, some are grieving, some are infirm, but Father, you know them all together, and we pray that they too may be conscious that you are with them. They may be aware of that gracious ministry of your spirit to their minds and to their hearts. And that you would speak words of cheer and of comfort, yea, even conviction, to all of our hearts this day. And Father, we thank you that you are the God who rules over all. And so we commit our world to you. Our Father, a dangerous place in these days. So much going on that we do not fully comprehend or understand truths untruths but our father we thank you that we are the people of the living god the sovereign king of heaven and that you rule all things and therefore we're not left to our own ends we're not left to our own wisdom we're not left to our own fears but whilst we do not understand all that takes place much is mysterious to us We see the madness of the world. We look to you. We rest in you. We trust in you that you will work out all things for the praise of your glorious name. And so we rest in the fact that this is still our Father's world and we trust in him. And so we commit this moment to you, and we commit this time as we open us the scriptures together, that you would feed our souls, that you would strengthen our faith, that our joy may increase. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The last Sunday in October, which is of course today, is traditionally regarded as Reformation Sunday. And this was due to the fact that it was on October 31, 1517, that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, thus igniting that which we call the Reformation. And that the Reformation was basically a back-to-the-Bible movement, a time for rediscovering the biblical gospel, the glorious truth of justification by faith. And the message of the Reformers, men like uh, Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and, and, and Knox, has subsequently been been summarized under five short statements, five solas. Salvation alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. It was that, that final point that captivated the hearts of the reformers. It was that, that truth which motivated them. It was that truth which compelled them. They were men, yea, and women, who were taken up with the glory. Of God alone. That was the momentum. Behind the reformation. God's glory was their passion. And it came through their preaching. It came through their prayers. And it came through their prayers. For how did Jesus. Teach us. To pray, and going back to that portion of God's word which we began and began to look at last Sunday, Matthew's Gospel and the sixth chapter, and that prayer which we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. It begins in the ninth verse. Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name hallowed be your name what does that mean what does that involve what does that imply well i want you to notice firstly this morning and you have your bible open before you that as you look at this this prayer here given by our lord There is an evident progression here. An evident progression in this prayer. You see, how how does it develop? If if you were to to study this particular prayer, how would you uh, frame it? How would you form it? How would you uh, outline it? Well, depending on how you classify verse 13 and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil depending upon how you classify that as one or two petitions what you have in this prayer is simply this you have first of all an invocation our father you have adoration our father in heaven and then you either have six or seven petitions. I will, for the sake of argument, call it six. And the significance is this, that three out of the six petitions here in this prayer given by our Lord have to do with God Himself, His name, His kingdom, His will. Which means, you see, that that half the prayer's focus is on the Father. Half of this prayer concerns God. Teaching and instructing and reminding us that prayer is directed to God who is our Father. As I noted last week, God is his people's Father by way of adoption on the basis and through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that adoption arising, as Paul records for us in Ephesians chapter 1, from the electing love of the Father in eternity past. So we, we come to our Father in heaven with the confession that He is in heaven for us. And we come to Him with the conviction that he is the very one who invites us to come to him. And we come to him with the certainty that he rewards all those who do come to him. Our prayers are directed to God. And furthermore, they are distinctly for God. You notice the progression because it's only after expressing our concern for God that the focus is redirected and we now express concern about ourselves. It's only after we deal with God, His name, His kingdom and his will that we then start to pray concerning ourselves, our provision, daily bread, our pardon, forgive us our debts, our protection, deliver us from evil. And so the lesson is clear. The structure is rather simple. The progression is plain. The order is not to be missed we do not in prayer begin with ourselves or even with others. No, no, no. Our passion, our prayer is to reveal our concern for God, His name, that is His glory. He is to be foremost in our minds and the concern for his name upon our hearts. Prayers are directed to God. They are distinctly for God. And although this may sound obvious, our praying is derived from God. The inference being It is God himself who moves us and inspires us to pray. Because you see, my friends, what God does, he does in answer to prayer. The prayer he himself instigates and ignites in our minds and hearts. In that 36th chapter of Ezekiel from which I read. The Lord lists there for his people of Israel what he is about to do. As you read through that chapter, you come across these words again and again and again. I will, I will, I will. I will take you. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will, I will, I will. And yet you get to verse 37, and the Lord says this. Yet, for this will I be inquired of for the Lord to do it for them. I will do this, but I will put you to prayer in order that I might do this. God's purposes and promises are wedded to prayer. And this is one of the lessons that we surely learn from church history. When God is about boat. To work. He first grants a spirit of intercession. His spirit moves across and upon his people and puts them on their knees and on their faces. And so that here in Matthew 6 and verses 9 and 10, those three your petitions, those petitions related to God. They're formed in what we call the imperative sense, which means God's name shall most certainly be hallowed. And God's kingdom shall most certainly come. And God's will shall most certainly be done. And the means that God employs to accomplish all that is Prayer, we pray to that end because prayer is a gift of God's grace to his children. To quote further from From C.H. Spurgeon, he said, Prayer itself is an art which only the Holy Ghost can teach us. He is the giver of all prayer. And so there's an evident progression in this prayer from our concern about God and then a concern for ourselves. But God is foremost in prayer. The second thing, therefore, I want you to notice this morning here in this ninth verse of Matthew 6 is an earnest passion that we find in this prayer. Jesus would teach us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first, and that's the primary petition in this prayer. And this, of course, was the great priority of the Son, Jesus Christ himself. When we read, and as, I, as I indicated last week, that uh, this, this prayer in Matthew 6, which we call the Lord's Prayer, it's not really the best term. It's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. And there, in his prayer, he unfolds and unpacks his heart that he has for his Father in heaven. And he says, Father, the hour has come Glorify your Son. Why? Glorify your Son. That the Son may glorify you. For that's why He came. That's why God became flesh and dwelt among us. To be glorified world without end. And Jesus was concerned about His Father's glory. And thus, the first petition he gives to us is this, Hallowed be your name. Now, when Jesus used that word name, Hallowed be your name, he was not simply referring to a particular title or label that belonged to the Father. Many of you know well enough the various names given to God throughout the Scriptures. But rather that, that one word, name, had great significance for the, for, the, for the Jews themselves. In their great reverence for God, they would not even dare pronounce his name. He was known as the name And so here, this term that is employed here by our Lord, it's a word that points us to the very being of God, the the perfection of God, the attributes of God, the character of God, His His glory, His grandeur. It's it's a term that points us to the, the very reputation of God himself. What kind of reputation does God the Father have? You see, let me illustrate it this way. I'll give you a name that nearly all of you would recognize. Rolls-Royce. When you see that name on a car, or on an aircraft engine, we immediately have special regard for it. Because it's a name that has a reputation as being one of the world's most renowned companies, a name that represents precision and craftsmanship and dependability. Rolls Royce has earned an enviable reputation. A name. It's got a name. So too, our Heavenly Father. He has a name, He has a reputation. And thus, this first petition calls upon us to think about God. His glorious character, His infinite holiness, His righteous reputation, and unswerving and unending faithfulness and steadfast love. And that means, beloved, that our prayers are to begin with having great thoughts of God. His name is to be hallowed. And that term, hallowed, simply means to be set apart. That word, hallowed, it's it's really uh, uh, the word that we use for sanctification. To be sanctified, uh, the basic idea is setting apart. Of being holy. Hallowed be your name doesn't mean that God's holiness or greatness or dignity be increased but that we and our world comes to regard him as holier than we first imagined him to be that we regard him as Greater than we imagined him to be. That we regard him as more glorious than we ever imagined him to be. That our awe of him and our reverence for him will be increased. This petition. Our prayer, our passion is this, that he will become more glorious in our eyes. Hallowed be your name. God, our Father, you are set apart from all others. There is none like you we bow in humble praise and adoration. Why did Jesus come? To walk and work here in order to reveal the Father to us. For if you want to know what God is like, look at his Son. For Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the father and therefore hallowing the father's name was the great priority of the son it was the passion of his heart that men and women might see how magnificent how unlike any other his father is it was his great passion and in addition to that friends it is the great purpose of God himself To be glorified. And to be hallowed. What was it that God said through the prophet Ezekiel? I'm quoting verse 25 of Isaiah 39. Now says God I will restore the fortunes of Jacob. And have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. You see, the fact is, God finds great pleasure in his own praise. That the triune God finds great pleasure in himself. And that's not arrogance. For God is perfect and without sin. But it's that passion which God has for his own praise, which is behind this petition. Listen again to the words of the prophet. And I shall show how holy my great name is, which has been profaned among the nations. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh when I show how holy I am before your eyes. Now, what's the context there? Why why is God speaking this through the prophet? Well, let me give you some background. The Lord had scattered Israel among the nations because of its idolatry, but the nations responded. "Quote: These these people who have come to our country, these people who have come into our nation, these are the people of Yahweh, and yet they have gone out of His land." The inference being that Yahweh could not provide for or protect his people. And thus this Yahweh God mustn't be much of a God. This God by the name of Yahweh, he must be some little tin pot God because he can't look after his own people. As one writer puts it, Yahweh has a media problem. He had to judge his people, yet when he did so, it looked to others like a blotch on his reputation. And it was in that way that Israel profaned his name. And yet it was within that context that Yahweh says, I'm going to change all that. I'm going to show how holy and how awesome and how mighty and how merciful and how faithful I am. I will restore my people. I will give them a new purity. I will give them a new disposition. I will give them a new privilege so that the nations will know that Yahweh is truly King of kings, Lord of lords, there is no one like him. That his reputation will no longer be profaned. They will know his name and they will fear. And this has always been God's great purpose and passion. Because why did God choose Israel? He chose Israel that they might declare my praise. What was God's purpose in the Exodus? Listen to his words to Pharaoh. I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And my friends, if I may quote Dr. Christopher Wright, it is actually a mark of conversion, proof of the new heart and the new spirit, that one becomes more concerned for God's reputation and glory than for one's own self-vindicated excuses. It is no burden, then, to acknowledge that what God has accomplished in forgiving and restoring us is for his own sake, ultimately for the sake and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus live? Why did Jesus die? Why was Jesus resurrected? Why is he ascended on high? Why? And we say, well, it's to save sinners. Yes, indeed it is. Bless God for that. But it's more than that. The ultimate end of all things. Your salvation and mine is not just that we might get to heaven, it's that we might get to heaven to praise and glorify the high king of heaven. He does it and he did it for his own name's sake. And oh my Christian brother and sister, do we not accept the right order and structure of this prayer given the fact that we who know the pardon of our God and his presence with us and his pity to us his love and mercy and grace. Ought we not in knowing these things. And embracing these things. And experiencing these things. Ought these things not cause us to delight. In honoring him above all others. Praying first of all. Praying that his re- reputation will be spread abroad. His name glorified. world without end John the Baptist understood this petition because what did he say he must increase and I must decrease that's the proper aim and attitude the spirit that gives rise to this first petition an evident progression An earnest passion, and thus, thirdly, an endless practice. An endless practice. Why this primary petition? Because our focus on God fuels our faith and thus flavors. All our other prayers and petitions. Let me explain. The prayer goes on and we ask for our daily bread. Why do we ask for our daily bread? Oh, simple because we're hungry. Yes, but God uses that for the honor of His name. He provides us daily bread for his name's sake because his grace in giving to us honors him and exalts him. Why ask for pardon of our transgressions? Because we need forgiveness, yay. But he grants forgiveness to us for his own name's sake. His name is hallowed as he extends his mercies to us. And thus, when you look at this particular petition within this prayer, there's a strong incentive here. Many of you, I'm sure, have unsaved loved ones. And you pray for them. But in light of this prayer and petition, we have great encouragement. We have a strong incentive because we have here an effectual plea. We pray, Lord, save them. Save so and so for your own name's sake. Lord, save them in order that your name will be hallowed. Lord, for your own glory and for your own praise, open their hearts, open their eyes, open their ears. Your name is so mighty. Your arm is so strong. Lord, for your own praise, come, seek them and save them. You see the reasoning, friends? You see the argumentation? And the same applies to all aspects and all requests, all of our needs, all of our pleas. As we we learn of God, as we focus on God, as we fill our minds with great thoughts of God, we come humbly, yet hopefully, because God is jealous for His name. And so we pray, hallowed be Your name. Lord, work to save yea, but not only to save not only to deliver not only to give health not only to restore not only to comfort lord come and do all of these things deliver and provide and protect and comfort and encourage lord do it all for your name's sake do it all for your glory do it all for your praise This petition gives us confidence because God is concerned about his own name. It gives us a strong incentive to pray. And thus it is a scriptural requirement. Because how sad it is that our prayers are usually filled with our wants and with our wishes. With little acknowledgement of who our Father is. And with little passion for his glory. How quickly we get, we get caught up in life's realities and urgencies. Oh, essential things, good things, personal things, needful things. These, the, these, these are the stuff of our prayers and, and so they should be. But listen, listen. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. We're to stop and consider who is the one that we're coming before. Our worship must precede our wants, his reputation before our requests. The words of Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. It does not matter how desperate the conditions may be. It does not matter how acute the tension. It does not matter whether it be illness or war or calamity. Whatever it may be, we must never fail to observe the order which is taught here by our blessed Lord and Savior. Before we begin to think of ourselves and our own needs, even before our concern for others, we must start with this great concern about God, his honor, and his glory. A strong incentive, a scriptural requirement, and so to close, a sacred employment. It was the Puritan Thomas Watson who said, When some of the other petitions shall be out of date, as we shall not have to pray in heaven, give us our daily bread, nor forgive us our debts, nor lead us not into temptation. Yet the hallowing of God's name will be of great use and request in heaven. For we shall ever be singing hallelujahs, which is nothing else but the hallowing of God's name. And so my fellow believers, we hallow God's name when we lift up his name in our praises. God gives us grace and we give him songs of praise. He gives us mercy And we find melody on our lips. And so the psalmist said, Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and your honor all the days. Praising God, hallowing his name, declaring his excellence, spreads his fame and glorifies his name. Because praise is the music of heaven. Heaven is the place of unceasing song. Someone described it this way. It is the homeland of music. And the note of prayers struck here by us will one day explode with a multitude of of unstoppable voices as they bring out their praises and hallelujahs in heaven to the high king of heaven our prayers hallows his name so i want to finish with this and i'm going to have to try and pick my words very carefully we greatly appreciate those that would come up onto the platform on a Sunday morning to help us in our prayers. We greatly appreciate them as they would lead us in our worship. And they do it so well, but, and there's always a but, I long for the day when the sound of prayers coming from you, from the congregation, drowns out everything that comes from here, because that's what we're expected to do. Our dear friends who come, and they, I'm sure, would agree with me person by person, individually, they're not here to take your place. They're here trying to encourage us. They're here trying to help us. They're here trying to instill us. But, beloved, you know, it's a cultural thing. I understand that. Men, men rarely sing these days. And yet I couldn't help but think, and I hope I'm not taking any of his time away, but our dear brother Wes, who is going to come shortly and lead us in communion at our prayer time this morning, reminded us that God always wins, the lamb wins, that's the story of Revelation. And when people win, what do they do? Have you ever been to a football match and your team wins? A deathly silence. No, there's this is outbreak of praise and thanksgiving and glory and, and men yelling to the top of their voices. Why is it then? Men. You don't sing anymore in church. Why don't we hear the voices like a multitude, giving honor and praise and glory to God? Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The highest goal, said Don Carson, the highest goal is not that we be made holy. The highest goal is rather that God's name be hallowed. You think about that. Let's pray. Father, Breathe, O breathe, thy living spirit, loving spirit on our hearts. Kindle a flame of sacred love that we may not sing because someone from a pulpit told them to sing, but that we cannot help but sing the praises of the King who loved us and gave his son for us. O oh, Father, revive our hearts, we pray you, that we may prize you above all others, learn of you, love you, and lift up your name together for your name's sake. Amen.